All right. I'm oh, sorry for that. Getting uh getting started just a couple minutes behind. Dude, my issue is that I run into with doing this space. I uh I get both phones going at once and you know, I, like I never use the old phone for anything else but doing this space basically. Um because like Twitter's terrible and it doesn't allow you to do spaces with uh Spaces with phone computer, which I, I absolutely don't understand how they can't incorporate that in. It seems like really easy functionality to uh, to add, but anyway, they won't let it, let you do it. So I always forget my phone's always my other phone's always dead going into that, and uh, that's what leads to like the three or four minute delays that we have seen the past couple of weeks. But we're getting going right now. If you want to speak, go ahead, come on up. Um, Cube, good to have you back up here, man. Excited for another another week and another edition of the Wonky Week Weekly Alpha. I can't even talk today, man. Well, it's a bit of a tongue twister, but crazy to think that, yeah, we're 24 episodes in. Gonna have to fact check you, but the number sounds right, which means we've basically been doing this for shit six months now on a regular basis, so... Happy to have everybody in here, uh, close out another week strong and rocking and rolling. And yes, I am indeed on the road today. Bro, love it, love it, love it. Hey, I, uh, tell me tell me a little bit more about what you've got going on with the Room 110 thing, man. I, uh, I saw y'all had the Crypto Tech Women, which we had on here, um, you know, co-hosted with Gigi. I think it was back toward the beginning, you know, like April or so, maybe May. That we had Gigi on here, but loved her, loved everything with that. And um, yeah, man, you know, pretty cool what you guys have been doing. I, I really enjoyed jumping on with you guys, at least, even though I missed having you there that day. No, I, I so you're going to have to do it again um, just so I can, you know, grill you on the Room 110 space. But yeah, man, appreciate you doing that. I guess a quick little overview, just kind of group of um a few of us who obviously met in wonky stonks the group's getting bigger and bigger and we just you know the nft space everybody says it's still so early um and there are so many talented people that exist within this ecosystem and we kind of came together as a spot to kind of share alpha bring people up artists and creators alike talk about their projects and just kind of look at it as a network thing in building bridges um you know Oh, the NFT marketplace, I guess you could say, gets a lot of bad publicity for all the rugs and whatnot that exist out there uh, and money grabs. But there are truly so many genuine people that I have met in this space, starting all from wonkies. I mean, that's my Genesis story. And then just from other communities. And I feel like we need to do a better job, I guess, industry-wide about showcasing some of these good people. Um, so, you know, that's one of the ideas. We typically have a space, yeah, once a week, sometimes do some impromptu ones, but, um, you know, eat Solana, hell, we've done a, a Teza space that Wick was heavily involved in. Um, so a little bit of everything, but yeah, man, we're going to have to get you back on there. And I can't believe your hidden talent is your mutant feet. That's uh, remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh... It, you know, it's got to be like there was a back in the day, 
and I never said this on the space whenever they were interviewing me, there was this, uh, you know, long line to be able to get into this haunted house type of thing. And, you know, I was back in high school right after I figured it out and people, you know, uh, they, they were doing something where to entertain the people that were in line, they had a big stage over the line and they brought people up for certain things. And one of the things they were like, okay, you know, if you think you've got like, you know, superhuman trick or whatever, you know, come up on stage, we'll do a contest and whoever wins their group gets to cut to the front. And, you know, I was there with my uh, cross country team at the time. Um, you know, it was fall, cross-country season, whatever. And we, uh, you know, because of my trick, our team ended up getting to skip the line, you know, probably saved us a solid half hour, and we went up there. You know, like, and I, I don't get how it's gut-wrenching whenever people see it, but apparently it is. You know, to me, whenever I do it, it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's just like my feet are backwards. But, you know, apparently that, that's not like a very normal thing. The double joint in this, I'm going to be honest, it, it, it gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking about it. It's like all those contortionists and whatnot. Like you go to Vegas, you see a show, Cirque du Soleil or an absinthe. They always have the contortionist stuff. And it just totally like ekes me out. Like I can't look at that stuff without finding it a bit cringeworthy. So, no, that's a legit stupid human trick. Like I, I don't have anything good. I guess my hidden talent would be... Uh, I'm a drummer. I can play the drums. That's about it. Man, love love to hear it. So drumming, like that is, you know, if we put a wonky rock band together, I'll, uh, I'll make sure to note that down. Wonky, um, wonky By the way, can you hear rock me right band now? Because I, I, I took out one of my AirPods because I noticed another thing, like how unprepared I was this morning. My uh, AirPods were sitting out of the case next to the case, so they're at 10%. So... I don't know whether this is like the best idea or not, but I put one in the charger and I'm like, all right, like I will talk with the other because the audio still probably sounds better using this than it does like no AirPods at all. And the other one's back in the case. And when this one dies, I'll just swap it out. Audio is solid. You missed an amazing joke, joke opportunity there. You said you got one at 10%. I'm assuming the other one's at 100%. You add them together, you got 110% there, baby. <laughs> all day well, you know uh, i'm assuming they're both at 10 percent, but you know if you like rearrange the ones and the zeros there and like just you know maybe put a dot and then you got 110 percent. smoke and mirrors i love it hey anyway we smoke can get and there. mirrors anyway we can, anyway we can flip there, but... yeah so flip what's going on today man how's it going good morning sir how are you I can't complain, man. Just another Friday. Dude, I'm, I'm kind of exhausted right now, actually, to be honest. I uh, I woke up at like 2.15 a.m. and then I just couldn't go back to sleep. It was just one of those nights where you just wake up and you're wide awake and it doesn't matter what you do. You go back to sleep and or you can't go back to sleep. And that's kind of where I was for a lot of the morning slash evening slash whatever, you know, the purgatory hours at that time of day are. And Kind of reminded me of where I was back in the day, man. Like, because a year ago, I, I was like that all the time. And I haven't been like that in a while. You know, I, I usually sleep pretty well. But, you know, kind of reinvigorating a little bit. And had, like, a solid wind going into about 8 or 9 a.m. And then, dude, it just, like, a tidal wave hit me where 
I just had to nap for like an hour or two. And that's where I've been coming into this. I, I, I woke up about a half hour ago and, you know, like we're, we're getting it rolling again. So how about yourself? Pretty good. Um, there's been, it's been, it's been a pretty wild, like last uh, 12 hours or so. There's been like um, a couple of minutes and Pseudoswap is just, Gaining so much traction, racking up TVL. So what, what is pseudo swapping? Like I, I don't know why I'm so out of the loop. Yeah, so um, basically, um, uh, pseudo swap is you can think of it as an like an AMM for NFTs, but um, you can put up liquidity for your NFTs, match it with ETH, and set a a sale pretty much on like a bonding curve so the more people buy the nfts from your pool the price goes up it's all predetermined and then vice versa if people sell into the pool then the nft price will will go down but the liquidity provider gets gets a cut of the fees um Pseudoswap only gets half of a percent, and it actually bypasses the um, the royalties for the, for the, for the team. So, um, and it's it's been it's racked up. I think like last I checked, um, over two and a half million already in TVL, um, and it's it's basically. Also, um, an ARB opportunity for for bots or for people because if if the pricing is changing in in PseudoSwap, but it's staying the same on OpenSea, so there's a lot of ARB opportunities. There's already people programming bots to kind of ARB opportunities, but the liquidity providers are just have been killing it. And um, one project actually provided. Um, it's a project owned liquidity for the first time. And that was the, the base ghouls. And that was kind of the first instance that, um, a project provided their own liquidity and the project just kind of like took off from there. And a lot of, um, a lot of other people are adding liquidity now. So that's kind of what it is in a nutshell. Um, I've used, I've used pseudo myself and also, um, you know, I've met, um, Owen and he's, he's kind of running the show there. He, he actually came out with, um, um, zero X Mons. I don't know if you, if you know that project, but, um, it's kind of like a, a cult NFT project It has a really strong following, but, um, it's the same team, but that's kind of what it is in a nutshell, Cleo. It's, it's. This has the potential, I think, to change the meta in the NFT space. Um, just imagine, I mean, you would appreciate this, just having instant liquidity and adding that into NFTs. Um, it, it could very well, you know, kickstart the next uh, NFT bull run. But what do you, what are your initial thoughts? 
Dude, it sounds pretty cool. So, you know, one of the things that I think that it sounds like it could potentially open the door for is, you know, if you have more instant liquidity, you know, with that type of setup, then it also provides the door to be able to better use NFTs as potential collateral. Um, so if you have instant liquidity and, you know, there's, it's a little bit easier to be able to do some type of equation for a risk curve, equating that back to like, you know, collateralization towards something else. Right. So like, you know, that's been one of the interesting propositions that I feel like, you know, we're definitely going to get there as the NFT marketplace becomes more robust, but we haven't really gotten there yet. Right. Like, you know, for instance, where we are right now, we were never there years ago as far as like using NFT or not, but using like shit coins as collateral on exchanges, for instance, right? Like there are people that use shit coins as collateral on centralized and decentralized exchanges. And that wasn't really something that necessarily existed just several years ago. People just didn't trust it. And, and like I, the NFT marketplace is something that I see really similar. It's just so early right now that it's not really proven as far as the dynamics of, you know, the way that it works. And a lot of people, I think, just aren't willing to assume that type of risk as far as collateralization, because, again, there is no guarantee as far as the you know, liquidity side is concerned. So you start to add a little bit more instant liquidity. I think that, that could open up the door for, and, you know, again, like if that starts to be a larger component of a lot of these projects and of the trading of it, then it really does open a lot more doors for potential use cases as well. So, you know, it's a really interesting proposition. Um, I don't know, man, like I've got to look into it a little bit more. I'm surprised I haven't heard much about it. I think I've seen like a couple tweets about it, but hadn't really seen too much on it. Cool. I think that's a really interesting point about lending, actually. I didn't even think about that impact that it could have on the, you know, the road to being able to borrow against your NFT potentially without having to set up like a, just a peer to peer, you know, like on um, NFT, NFT five, you know, that, that, that whole platform, but it's um that's a really good point Kaleo. but yeah i definitely look into it it's it's um it's pretty much uh catching the eye of um a lot of people and tvl is just just ramping up right now but um also just wanted to to touch on um a uh did you did you see these uh ebos Kaleo? <laughs> I, I've seen y'all post about it, man. That's uh, and it looks like you know they've they've kind of been the the hottest new mint as far as the last week that I've seen. I saw that Bogfather said that he minted the uh, the number one rarity. Bebo. He did. I guess if you enter it, like you know, you mint out enough, it's bound to happen eventually. Um, yeah, it's no. it's um it's it's at point eight one floor on OpenSea right now. Mint was point one last night, and it's already done on OpenSea three hundred three hundred sixty two ETH in vo- in total volume. 
um, there's also a um, a pretty big um, pseudoswap pool. Um, so that I'm I'm curious to see what the volume is on there, but yeah, it's it's I don't really know what they do or what they will be able to do, but it's um it's all on chain and I don't know they're they're pretty cute and I don't we'll see we'll see where this goes you know you never know with these things right like if it's just like a for a few days or if it's um something that becomes like a mainstay but yeah I just wanted to come up here real quick and um say what's up and I know you mentioned you were feeling kind of burnt out so ho- hope you took the time to kind no, of no, no, no. not 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 burnt out man you know i i think i tweeted out something about being burnt out like a few days ago where i just needed like you know a, a few days off where dude it, it wasn't the twitter side of things or you know the crypto side of things where i felt burnt out it was just like the life of traveling around the time man like where you know i think enough time away and just on the road and that type of stuff sometimes like you know you just need a minute to recharge and i think that's kind of where i was for just a couple days at the beginning of this week uh but yeah yeah no, i mean like i'm good man so i appreciate that though cool man yeah it's um bog bog actually was the one who shared the the bebo's mint with with us i'm in um uh the uh it's like a private discord for abasha holders i know pp's here but um it's like this small collection that started minting like over a year ago and um it was kind of dug up recently um i don't don't know if pp has time to talk but i basically it's like um holders have like this this private chat and bog actually shared the the bebo's mint there and then so we got in in time for the mint and was pretty happy for him to to get the uh the number one rarity so curious to see where that goes but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna step down but um good chatting with you as always is kaleo and um have a good rest of the week yeah man thanks for came, coming up take it easy rooster what's going on man welcome back how's your week been uh, at 2 30 on monday okay so it would have to be first thing in the- uh great man uh just tried to go into the d um nice but they, yeah to get my new license finally 2 30 on monday <laughs> yeah that's what it's <laughs> gonna be now because apparently they don't do licenses at this particular dmv that was close to my house for some reason that's yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. Like everything about the DMV is just pure hell. So I feel for you right now. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a DMV experience that lasted like less than a couple of hours. No, yeah, one hundred percent. So that's why we're just gonna make an appointment for Monday morning and get it. Because we have to go like US down and... downtown now, and that one's gonna be packed. Oh, it's tough. Yeah, for those outside the U.S., I'm not sure if it's any easier, but in the U.S., yeah, dude, like, it's not fun. At least anywhere that I've ever lived. But yeah, that's been uh, that's been my morning. How's it been going, man? 
Uh, I mean, yeah, like I said earlier, you know, like kind of a little bit off on sleep and all that stuff right now, but you know, like it's fine. Like I, I feel like I haven't been tired enough during the day in a while, which is typically a sign of not working hard enough. So I am fine with being tired because whenever I got on my degen track this morning and I woke up and I was just going through random shit, like, you know, I was just going down different rabbit holes, reading different articles and, you know, diving down and just, you know, like I, I felt like even though I was awake, my mind was racing and I was, you know, decently productive with that. So one of those things, like, I appreciate that as far as rolling that productivity into the day and, you know, continuing forward from there. So, um, yeah, man, everything, everything's well, can't complain. Love what you said about uh, being tired, uh, equating to um, how hard you're working. Cause I woke up this morning so tired. <laughs> Bro, I love it, man. I love it. I, I mean, but like there really is a correlation a lot of the time, right? Like, you know, you're tired for one of two reasons, either because actually, you know, I'm going to say one of three reasons. Either one, you're tired because you're working hard doing something productive, right? Or, you know, you're, you're two is you're just a dumbass and you're doing something that you shouldn't be and you don't have the discipline that you need to to be able to, like, control yourself and manage your time wisely. We're going to throw that one out the window for now. Three is you're just lazy and you're doing absolutely nothing. And because you do nothing and because you get so much rest, your body is just weighed down. You're not producing endorphins. You're not getting up and like, you know, giving yourself energy by being active and doing stuff. So, you know, I'm going to go ahead and go with this one as a tired of actually doing something versus not doing anything though. So, you know, like it's, it's the good tired. The, you feel slightly accomplished, tired, you're a little bit exhausted, but you look back and you're like, you know, I'm not, not a complete lazy piece of shit. Might I propose a fourth option, and that would be dad life. Dad life is real. As an elder statesman and boomer, so to speak, in this space, dad life with kids is totally real, and they will suck children, that is, will suck the lifeblood and energy right out of you. But I digress from there. Bro, you're, you're speaking a different language than Rooster and I can understand right now. <laughs> So I appreciate your perspective, Q, because I think Rooster, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of out of pocket here. I don't know. Rooster might have like seven little roosters, little chicklets running around. No, there are there are not currently any chicklets. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, man, I uh I I I do remember from all of back when I used to work in the corporate world, seeing all my friends that I was working with as they were getting kids coming to work. And, you know, the funniest thing was how they viewed work as an escape where they loved coming to the office because they almost got like a break from just everything else that was going on for a minute. And I like, I never understood that but looking at it now where, you know, I don't really have an office or any of that type of stuff. Like my office is the house. Like if I had kids, I feel like I would have to get an office out of the house to be able to have an excuse to go out occasionally and get like, yeah, and not that I wouldn't love the kids and love being there, but like, I feel like that would eventually, because even right now, you know, just being at home while I am working, 
you know, and that's where the office is. Like, what do I end up getting assigned because I am always home? Anytime the girlfriend is gone, I get dog duty 24 seven. You know, it's like, you know, she goes on business trips, does this or that. It's like, Hey, you know, you're getting the dog. And like, I love the dog. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely love it. But that is not necessarily a responsibility that I signed up for going into it. So, you know, I, like, I can only imagine that the kid side of things is going to be tenfold worse that whatever I am doing that is not like actually with a corporate, whatever, and for myself, is going to be perceived as a flexible hobby and that I will have to mold my life around all the other stuff. I'll be the, you know, the drive through pickup line, dad, always like whatever that stuff is like, you know, it, it's bound to happen. Oh uh, yeah. You're, you're speaking true words to me right there. You, but saying Go it's ahead, only going to be 10 X, it's more like a, it's more like a hundred X life altering experience. This is what I would boil parenting down to and love our kids to death. There are far more shitty, stressful experiences being a parent than there are the good ones. It's a, it's a complete time sink. So the awesome stuff like walking for the first time, saying words, That trumps all the bull crap, all the lost energy in space. But to your point earlier that you point out, talking about your buddies in the in the corporate world. Fortunate enough, my wife works. She's very successful. We 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 go to daycare. Those three day weekends. I believe it, man. I believe it. And <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I like, I, again, I appreciate the perspective because, you know, you're, I was going to say a boomer talking to zoomers, but I don't know if that's true either. Like I'm, you know, I'm a boomer that just hasn't picked up the responsibilities maybe that I need to at this stage. <laughs> yet. So, um, yeah. So I, again, appreciate that perspective and, yeah, so yeah, there are multiple multiple reasons to be tired that are good reasons. You know, being a dad, being a mom, whatever, definitely one of them. I apologize, parents that are listening out here in the crowd today. Um, and you know, you might be asking yourself, how does this conversation apply to you know NFTs and Alpha? And you know, like honestly, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> I just I'm just messing around like everything kind of does in a sense right like if you're talking about NFTs you're talking about anything else like really what are you talking about in general you're talking about either the tech the vibes like the culture just general life and I feel like it's important to address the casual nuances that are underappreciated of life in general yeah I heard uh fathering and i had to hop in here because i'm at my office with two kids drawing on stuff with markers uh so yeah i totally feel you wonky cube it's a lot different than having a dog but it's also a lot more rewarding because uh, uh you put it very well said like the important stages like the first walking like having a conversation with my five-year-old is like totally outweighs like all the stuff that you know annoys me so yeah i just had to pop in here and say that and like um 
yeah, I wanted to chime in on Flip uh, Drago's comment earlier talking about the pseudo swap thing. Um, it's a huge deal, I think, for NFTs to have these liquidity pools because, like, you know, one thing that we've been missing from the NFT space is, like, you had to rely on someone, like, making an offer or buying something uh, that you put up and until, I think, these uh, liquidity pools, it, it kind of brings new life to an NFT market. Um, I would not be surprised to see Uniswap kind of do the same thing since they took over Genie. Um, but it kind of reminds me of kickstarting DeFi summer um, back when Uniswap kind of started getting its reign. So would not be surprised to see um, more and more projects pulling into liquidity um, with these. So, yeah, it's an interesting time in NFT space for sure. No, it is, man. Like, I'm and. Dude, that's why I'm glad I do these type of spaces because a lot of the time, one thing that can, you know, happen, I feel like pretty easily as far as sifting through different stuff on the timeline, it's easy to let things kind of blend in a little bit as you're reading, right? And it's easy to let like a few keywords, you're like, oh, it's another swap, it's another this or that. And sometimes, you know, it takes a more meaningful conversation to be able to point out just little things like this that, oh, you know, it is different from other swaps. Here's how, and here's how it could be extremely interesting to be able to dive in and really, you know, get a head start looking at how it works and the different applications that could come from it. So, you know, like that's what I really appreciate about these type of spaces is it just, you know, again, audio and conversations are completely different from scrolling through and selectively reading on a feed. I agree. And I th- one thing that me and Bog talked about earlier this morning, we had a smaller space, is um, you're starting to see these smaller like collections. Man, you hear that? That's not a dog barking. Uh, you're, starting to- <laughs> you're starting to see these smaller collections men out, and it's almost like you know they're eyeing the the market and seeing you know maybe I don't need to mint. 5,000 pieces, maybe 500 is enough, maybe 800 is enough. And it's almost like a testament and like, um, you know, you don't have to have these huge collection sizes and small mint meta, I think may be coming to fruition. Um, we just minted out Deer Pack this morning, uh, Basho, and then last night, like Bebo's minted out. That's 1,111, so... Uh, small mints may be worth looking into, uh, especially even getting into them early. Well, here here would be my thought on like small mints. You know, there there's an inherent risk by going to large collection. You look like an asshole if you don't mint out right. If you do a small mint, it mints out, and there's enough interest. Why not just launch a secondary collection or something that's associated with it? I mean, in my mind, logically, if I were going to do something. I'd probably lean towards a smaller mint size just for that reason. Yeah. And I think you're spot on there. Like chubby corns did it best. I think, uh, late last, like late last year by doing the chubby friends, you know, they had the 250 piece collection just to kind of launch it. And like that went crazy because there's only 250 and then it's just like kind of a, almost like a testament. Like, um, and it's also like, it's easier to sell out. And once you do, you have these diehard, um, people that are like i'm part of one of 250 or something like that and building a community with 250 people is a lot easier than trying to do it with like 10,000 in my opinion 
Yeah, you know, I, and I feel like a big part of that dynamic right now is you have to consider where we are in the market, right? You know, the overall number of participants that are eager to rush in, the amount of speculative money that's sitting on the sideline willing to take those type of risks isn't nearly at the level that we were, you know, 12 months ago, whenever we were in the heart of the beginning of this craze, right? At August of last year, when Bitcoin was starting to surge back, you know, we were only a couple months off the highs for May. I know we had a big crash at that point, but like things were starting to surge back a little bit as Bitcoin started to climb. You know, we started to see a little bit of other stuff going on. You know, the apes were starting to surge a little bit. And then with that, you start to see other collections like the penguins, et cetera, start to take off. It really set off this craze where seeing what type of multiples were possible in the NFT marketplace with it being so new, you got a lot of new speculative money kind of going along with that bullish momentum of the broader market as a whole. So right now, you know, whether we are, you know, we're, we're at a bear market, right? And like whether we continue to climb up to 30, whether we dip down to 20, whatever it is, I, I think that we're going to have relative stagnant growth for, you know, like a, a little period of time. And until things pick back up, the smaller mint size is probably the way to go for a lot of these different collections, right? Because it's easier to be able to establish a heart, you know, of a community that you can support. You don't want to have supply that you know exceeds the community right off the bat because one of the worst things that i think can happen a death nail for a project even if it's an incredible project is not being able to mint out so you have to understand what the market conditions are no matter what you have going to the table and to be able to reflect that with both you know the mint price that you're going for and the collection size i agree completely i think you know there's, it's going to be kind of interesting to see like what happens with some of these older projects. Um, I feel like some of the, I mean, like I'm just going to use the penguins, but we got a little lucky that, yeah, there's 88, 88 of them, but there was enough demand there. And, and, you know, like the, I guess the appeal was large enough that even in bear market, like they're, they're doing fine, but you have like these other projects that are 10 K. And if you kind of like use like ICOs in 2017 as an example, you know, a lot of those dino coins just never like eclipsed their old all time highs because you had people that just wanted to sell for break even. And you could I mean, the multiples were still kind of there, but like you saw DeFi coins that were just released during the bear market that just outperformed them drastically. So like if you can use that as like a benchmark or like, you know, I mean, it's kind of like a little apples and oranges, but you I mean, you still have like similar market participants, market participants, similar market. Um, I think you're going to see that. Uh, with NFTs too, and, and you know, even though there's an order of magnitude uh, more people that are, you know, assuming in the next run will will join the space, um, you know, that's gonna it, it it still I don't think will bail out some of these projects, um, but we'll we'll see. You know, and this is completely so, speculative, right? Like all of this is we don't no no go ahead Rooster. No, go ahead. I want to hear, uh, hear you before I before I ramble anymore. I was just, I was going to ask if uh, we talked about Moonbirds yet in the beginning of the space. If I missed that. We, no, we have not, but I do want to talk about that. And I say we switched to that here in just a second because I had one other thought 
on the collection size and all that stuff. So here I think like, yeah, for sure. the pros and the cons right now of the smaller collection and being able to start off with it right now, obviously I think in order to kickstart kind of any type of run at this point, you know, it, it's a lot easier to do with a smaller collection size. The issue that I see with it is the staying power, right? Because obviously if you're able to gain traction with a larger collection, you have a larger audience and a larger pool of people that are able to then, you know, grow that ecosystem out. Like your growth isn't quite as limited as some of the smaller collections are, where as the smaller collections, you know, like that's just the issue at the end of the day that I see with them is like, you've seen this with a bunch of smaller collections across the table, unless they are part of a larger ecosystem as a whole, if they're a standalone smaller collection, you know, like it's difficult for them to really thrive. And I ask myself, like, as things start to die out a little bit with some of these, how do they end up coming back? And I like, I, I don't know. And, and like, obviously I'm, I'm not the, you know, the expert in the room. It's just one of the things that I've personally asked myself going into it with, you know, looking at a sample size of, you know, like for instance, I forget which one you had the, the really cute cows back in the day, Bach father. <laughs> Um, oh man, we don't want to talk about the piggy pals. R.I.P. Yeah, the, the piggy, piggy pals. pals. That's what it was. <laughs> the piggy pals, bro. Because the piggy pals were killing it there for a minute, and then you know, like I asked myself, what would it take for the piggy pals to get back there? Do they have, you know, the the voice, the reach, the this, the that? Like, you know, is there? And and I don't know. Like, I don't know the answer to that question, but as far as like resurgence, I just think it's easier for a collection that has a larger audience to be able to potentially reclaim that. And like, maybe I'm completely wrong and we'll see, you know, obviously heading into the next cycle as things end up playing out, but real, real know, quick, real quick though, I just want, before we talk about the, the moon, uh, moon cats or whatever, but you make like a bunch of good points and I like, I think these are all case studies, right? Like we're going to look back next cycle and be like, you might be like a Monday morning quarterback on certain things and like, Oh, how we, how we didn't get into this or how we didn't see that coming. And it was kind of obvious, but um, I think at the, the core thing is really the community. And if like you, you keep the community strong and then you, you know, like the, like, I mean, let's say it's the piggy pals that they failed because, you know, they just didn't, they did nothing like the team was stagnant and they didn't really keep the community going. And like, I see now with like what the pudgies are doing, it's like, and, and the chubby corns, it's like little silly things. I know it's silly and it's like, how does this add value? But like the gifts or whatever, it's just a way to communicate. And it's like, eat like, like ways to stay active every day, like saying good morning or whatever. Like, okay. Yeah. It could be annoying, but you're, you're getting people to consistently tweet about it every day. Like, and, and, you know, like you have like a community that's staying active regardless of like, they don't care about the, like the value is always, you know, a, a, a large part of that, you know, formula, but you, you need to have that community, keep them engaged. And, you know, if you lose that, that's the hardest thing. Like, how do you round up everyone? Like, even if it's like a small project like that, where there's, I think 400 of those little piggies, it's like, you, you know, if, if you don't have the, the an active team doing something and, and you don't engage the community, like there's just literally no way like you can really come back from that, you know, a, apart from like some like meme, like some kind of like white swan event or something. But 
um, yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. And I, I honestly, I don't even know. I don't think any of us are experts right now, right? Like, this is so, like, it's in a nascent stage. So we have no idea what the hell is going to happen. But I, I think we can kind of use some kind of clues from, you know, being in the space for a little bit to see, like, like I said, it's apples and oranges. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's kind of like market psychology, too. There's some kind of like behavioral finance aspect to it. But yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of uh, first mover advantage when you think of communities as well, too. Like a lot of people have their home community, like, you know, even being a part of many projects, a lot of people have their home communities. Like for me, probably penguins or something along those lines, like other gay, like I don't, I barely go into the PA discord just because, you know, I love being a part of that community love the team love everything but i don't spend my time like in that discord just because there's so many other things that i need to be doing so i also think that first mover advantage like being early into nfts provides a little leg up on staying power because then all these newer projects have to bring people from their original home communities to you know spend time being in the community like retweet yeah and just one more point like i think the cross-pollination aspect's really interesting and clay you're talking about like smaller collections the way i look at it so if you have let's like say 10 small like like 500 piece projects and right now it's a lot of penguins it's a lot of chubby corns it's a lot of like seals like whatever like in those handful of people that are interactive like technically like you have multiple collections of like the same strong core community where they can feel a part of something where it's like you are, it's like multi, if you can think about it as merging multiple small communities into one bigger one, but it's also just a wide variety. Right. And at the same time, I'm sure there's cons there, but I think it's just a different way of looking at it. And I think it, I mean, there, you know, I, I think, I don't think it's as much of a con as like you might think of saying like, Hey, we can't grow this larger and, I think you could always augment that by like always just releasing something like uh, PP was saying later on. But again, like I, I don't Well, and know. I guess that's what like chubby corns did with the chubby verse, right? Like, so that's a good example. If you gain high traction with that smaller collection at the beginning, then you're able to potentially grow that ecosystem if the demand exists. And before we move on from small collection sizes, I'm going to take a moment to kind of talk about, I know Flip brought it up earlier, but. If you haven't heard of a Basho, it's a collection that someone um, did over 400 days ago, and he only like minted it out to like two or three different friends, and like it never minted out. It was like 30 that were minted, and it sat dormant. And then like last week, I saw like a couple people minute, and then I was like, oh, these look cool, so I minted like 14 of them, and then like just tweeted about it. Within like 15 minutes, the thing minted out. And so we've formed our own little Discord, and that's how I found about Bebo's because it's kind of, it's become kind of like an alpha um, Discord. There's 250 pieces, but we've decided to like basically we've talked to the artists and decided to form it into a DAO, and the DAO is going to basically vote on basically featuring a new artist every month, and Abasho holders will get. Um, if is it, if they can produce 250 pieces, then fine, we'll get 250 pieces. But we can do uh, different um, what do they call them? Sorry, I got two kids running around. But we could do like one piece where it's just like an edition where every single Basho gets the chance to minute. 
and um, those those won't be free. I don't think we'll just it'll be like a small mint price. So basically, we kickstart a new artist every single month um, to help get discovered because that's how this project was kind of like jump started. Is it, it was discovered like uh, four hundred days like after it had been out. So it's become quite the little community. Um, so if you can find those projects that have those kind of like heart stories, I'd I'd look into them seriously. Can I, can I add um, to the earlier point? Can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. All right. How you guys doing? How you guys doing, man? They're walking space. I'm in the road again. Joining Hugh Ruggin. Hey, okay, so here is my theory with the smaller collection. I think it's all about context, right, and what the collection is about. Obviously, um, for like a artists where the art is more unique and stuff like that uh a smaller collection and all of that like it can work out right like you're not expecting any utility i do believe as we move on like i see a lot of tweets on the feed about you know nfts and utility and that um if the collection is not based on that you know and it's just a collection survive or whatever the community that's fine but i do see utility being key in the future and launching with a smaller collection and then scaling um, being a thing as to like growing a business pretty much as to just launching on a bigger size and you know maybe not being able to handle you know even maybe it's a little more costly setting up a server for 10,000 users for whatever you're providing as to say for 500 and testing out the product um, and growing it in that way. That's what I see as as to what the benefit is going to be the most in pretty much um, making the, the, you know, everybody that's buying, making them understand, like, that's going to be the new wave where uh, a project releases, you know, maybe 500 minutes at a time, um, and because you're providing something uh, that you're basically pretty much not interested in flipping it right away, a service or whatever, I think that's a huge, um, that could be a huge point for what I believe the future of NFTs will be, you know, separate from what we have right now. That's fair, man. That's fair. And, yeah, like, again, it, it all goes back to, you know, looking at, like, the potential that we were talking about earlier that PseudoSwap could unlock as far as instant liquidity and being able to drive a little bit more of an ecosystem with collateralization of NFTs down the road. Like, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like, it, it, there's just a lot of interesting things that I think have yet to be developed in this space that that's the fun thing about it is, you know, we are sitting here speculating so much about the growth that will happen. Like it's not a matter of if, in my opinion, it, it, it is a matter of when and exactly what it looks like. And, you know, like, so that's the fun thing. Like we're again, we're sitting here, we're speculating. A lot of these answers are going to be wrong, probably most of them, but like there are going to be a few of those answers that are right. And I think that 
It's about the perseverance of being able to stick around and being part of that growth where the opportunity presents itself. So that we'll see, man. So Rooster though, what, uh, what, you know, you were talking about the CCO and the Moonbirds. What is your take on all that? Yeah, that's a, that's a loaded question. I haven't been able to dive deep. I was, you know, prepping to go to the DMV this morning. So here, here's like kind of how I found out about it. I would just like randomly woke up in the middle of the night. Uh, so out of just force of habit and checked icy tools, right? And so Moonbirds 2 trending, um, like very cheap price. And I was about to actually sweep a few um, just off momentum, but, you know, I was half asleep. So I decided, you know, I asked myself why. I was like, why am I buying these right now? So I just turned my phone off, went back to sleep. Um, and then woke up and uh, saw the Kevin Rose tweet. So apparently Moonbirds, the holders initially had the IP rights to the birds. And then now uh, what it seems is taken away, they've moved uh, to CCO. So now the individuals no longer have the IP rights to their specific bird. And from my understanding, it was announced or it was known pre-mint that you were going to own the IP rights. So it's a little bit uh, deceiving and especially not taking a community vote. Like, I don't know where to draw the line between, you know, holders of a project in the team, whereas are they holders? Like you can't really classify them as investors because then it'd be a security, um, but they are the people who are holding your project. Um, so it is slightly deceiving and they didn't, you know, do a vote or clear anything with the community at first. They kind of just, you know, and so, yeah, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about that because I do respect about and, you know, holders of the project, uh, especially whenever you start going more Dow formed and people have different ideas than progression. Project actually taking a lot longer than being quicker. So yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know because I'm not a part of the community. I'm glad that hasn't happened in any community that I've been a part of. Uh, so I can't really give like firsthand perspective on it. But as an outside point of view, um, that comes off as a little untrustworthy to me. Yeah, you know, like, here's my take on it. And again, you know, like you said, I'm not, I'm not a Moonbirds holder. So, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to be able to take my take versus somebody that actually is part of the project. Because I have seen several people that are part of the project that are actually excited about it. And personally, though, I look at it, and I do see it as a little bit disingenuous to just go out and for them to make the executive decision. Because, you know, the way that the project was sold is that you know you have the rights to your birds whenever you buy them if you are the holder of that bird you have the rights so if that is the case i think there's a solid legal case now against you know whatever uh, i forget who owns moonbirds like proof collective or whatever that they are giving away rights that they don't technically own at that point right like because if the 
like, and I am no attorney, take everything I say with a grain of salt, et cetera, et cetera. But that's the way that I would view it is because, you know, like without each individual that owns the IP that they purchased along with those birds, then without each individual's consent, then how can you put that up as a CCO? Like it should be the individual's right to put each bird on a CCO, right? So it's like bird number, you know, 8362 has a CCO and anything can be done with that. I think that is really cool. If the holder of that bird said from now on, like that is what this bird is, that's fine. But like for the actual collection to make the executive decision without the holder's explicit consent does seem rather disingenuous. So what um, does being a CCO provide now, I guess, to people outside of Moonbirds? Like, what are they now able to use with the Moonbirds? Oh, man, dude, I, I want to look on, like, again, I, I need to do a little bit more research myself because I know basically public copyright license. I I don't know. I want to dive into it a little bit more because I think there might be some type of extent as far as like for-profit type cases. Um, But I am not positive as I say that. Right. So like, that's the one thing that I want to clarify before I go any further. I'm not sure. Yeah. Where that goes. But again, like it allows pretty much just like anybody um, to be able to, you know, use that IP. Again, I didn't, I'm in the same boat as you. I virtually did zero deep diving uh, after I found out about it this morning was busy. That's why I was asking if uh, you guys already talked about it. Um, but I find that interesting because about 15 minutes ago, uh, OpenSea just delisted Moonbirds 2 off of OpenSea. Uh, so... And I, even though Kevin Rose like specifically had made some type of tweet saying that any, uh, here, let me go read the tweet actually. Let me go down to my computer so I don't paraphrase this incorrectly. Well, yeah, you know, again, so without without having the clear fit like that that's the only thing that feels a little bit disingenuous to me from the outside looking in without being an expert in any of these matters you know i do feel like it's one of those things the way that it's done say that we are wrong in our interpretation of this rooster like i just feel like the way that it was done was rather abrupt and without community consent and i feel like it would have been received much better had it been you know, proposed to the community a little bit earlier and especially the direction and what it means for you as a holder rather than just throwing it on them one day and saying, hey, this is a change. This is what it is. This is what you thought we were initially, but this is what you are now. And like that just didn't feel very, um, very transparent. And I don't know if it felt 100% correct either. So that is my whole take is that I think that with these type of steps, 
You know, if you tell your community one thing, if you were making a major decision as far as the rights they have to what they own, then they should be part of that conversation if they were, you know, guaranteed those rights going into it. So, no, right. If you tell someone, if you promise someone something or tell them someone, tell them something is going to be a certain way, proceed to take their money proceed to rise in value and trade i don't even know how many thousands of um, and then do the exact opposite you're cutting out just a little bit man okay maybe because you're rugging a little bit on us there you go you're back Back okay, it was because I got closer to my laundry room. It's like a five bomb shelters. <laughs> uh, but what I was saying was, is like, doesn't matter where you're in, you know, not just being NFTs. If you tell somebody something, um, take their money, proceed to trade thousands of do- thousands of ETH um, in value of it, thousands and thousands, and then go and do the exact opposite. That's not good business practice in any, you know, sense. It seems shady to me. I mean, you know, CCO to allow for anybody to use it for any purpose. Um, for what? You know, like it, it completely goes against what NFTs are supposed to be. You buying something that you feel like is yours and yours only until you oh. sell it. You know, again, I, I don't know if I fully agree with that yet because it's difficult for me to make a, you know, an abrupt decision on whether it's a good or a bad thing without having a clear understanding of the CCO, you know, like it's like, so I, I don't want to jump to the conclusion of whether it's good, whether it's bad, what it actually does to the holder, whether it benefits them or whether it doesn't. Again, to think that I think that I have a little bit more of an issue with is just the way that it was handled as far as the change and the presentation of the community. I completely understand. It feels completely like a rug. I've just, I've just thought, you know, like wondering in my head of how a CCO. would benefit um, an artist, maybe an up-and-coming artist. Even on the game side, you have a lot of assets that are completely free, and maybe the artist says, you know, um, give me a shout-out. Obviously, anybody taking that that seriously won't use any of those assets. But but, uh, as far as, um, you know, not even communicating with the community, um, for me, I believe it could take some some away. Uh, I mean, it takes a lot away. Of, it's like rugging, completely rugging the community. Um, but also, if, if the project is art-based, um, not so much data-driven or anything else like that, I, I think that is a huge thing, to be honest. Um, completely. I don't, I don't think we can underestimate um, giving rights to anybody to do whatever they want with unique uh, images, you know. I think that's just my opinion, though. Not. Yeah, so, from a question, it's just a definitely. 
Bruce, you're rubbing again, brother. Oh, I don't know how or why, but it's happening. It says effectively relinquishing all copyright and similar rights that you hold in a work and dedicating those rights to the public domain. They know anybody can do whatever they want from Moonbirds. And from just interpreting it, I feel like the play that they're trying to move is like wanting more free advertisement for the original collection because it is verified on the blockchain, right? So even though there's Moonbirds 2, AI birds, birds, owls, whatever, um, you can still verify the original collection, right? Moonbirds is the original collection. And I think that they are probably thinking that if we allow people to freely use Moonbirds, then that's going to bring more attention, more awareness to the original collection. Therefore, raising our value is what I think the play they might be going for there is. But with giving away the rights, it means I don't have to purchase your collection to do anything I want with it. Yeah, you don't have to purchase the collection to do anything you want with it, but um, they think that will in turn drive value to the original collection because even though you know, you can, you know, make your own Moonbird NFT or whatever and mint it and have it in your wallet or whatever. Uh, someone else still owns the original piece of the artwork and that is verifiable. So it seems like they're trying to get ahead of the curve and kind of stress test um, the utility in NFTs and to, I guess, see where people see the true value. And if their thesis was right, you know, it might make Moonbirds a global brand for the original collection for free. Well, I can I can see that. I think I can see that as being an experiment. I mean, we'll see if we're right or we're wrong. Obviously, I'm not saying anything will happen, good or bad. It's just I like to put out the. the you know, I, I love these conversations and, and looking at it from both sides. You know, like obviously the benefit is that if somebody picks up the 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 art and do, does anything with it, um, you know, that can be spread up, spread out and give you know recognition or whatever. It's just as a creator, I don't see why the heck would I even touch it um, if I don't own it. You know what I mean? If I'm trying to build anything. Um, I don't know why I can grab your art to build something with it. And, and that might be different, like listening to that for me, but I'm, a, you know, I create, I, that's what I like to do. And it's, it's just a little bit, it's a little bit weird to be honest. I think it's a long shot, but I guess we'll see definitely your, what you're saying about the stress is. Yeah, you know, okay, so, you know, the more I am reading into it, you're right, CCO is, like, the most extreme of, like, trying to waive basically all rights to it in order to be able to build upon the product. But I really, like, here's my only issue that I ask myself. Again, what utility does Moonbirds have that people really want to build upon right now as far as, like, taking the licenses to it? And then, 
going to do something if they don't have any other type of skin in the game as far as the investment behind the birds themselves. Like, no offense, they're, you know, they're ugly-ass pixelated birds. Like, what is going to be done with those immediately right now if if there isn't some inherent value to the holders themselves? Because, again, outside of just, like, potentially right now that I'm looking – I, I just don't understand what people would want to do with that CCO other than what was just done with like the Moonbirds 2 type, which again, looking at it, as far as the CCO license, like it, it looks like the Moonbirds 2 thing was perfectly legal and like should be upheld because they relinquished all right. rights going into it. So yeah, yeah like that exactly. is a little bit of a an interesting conundrum going deeper into that, that like... I don't know, man. I think it'll really be a non-event, and like, it's not like it's a piece of code, right? Because like, if it's a piece of code that has some type of purpose that can be used to build upon other code, then great. But like, it's not really code; it's a hash, right? Like, so yeah. yeah so like, I think the OpenSea thing is just for one them being central, like. Uh, super centralized exchange and overstepping their bounds and probably took the initiative on that. I doubt the five employees that they have left at OpenSea even know about uh, the recent Moonbirds news. So I bet they just acted on that as their own uh, without any reasonable intelligence uh, to do so. Um, And then what I think, to answer your other question of like, what do you think they're going to be trying to do now? Um, I think they're probably just going to try to flood retail market with just like, you know, Walmart, $10 Walmart t-shirts with the Moonbirds on it. And they'll make like, uh, they'll probably try and outreach to other, you know, larger web two companies and um, essentially like strike some deals with them and maybe like, do a thousand of the Moonbirds with Target and a thousand of the Moonbirds with uh, Walmart and so, and essentially just flood retail market and to pretty much throw a Hail Mary. Hopefully it gets caught in the end zone and it works as, you know, free public branding. Uh, then Moonbirds is multinationally recognized. And then the original artwork will appeal to just collectors because they're one of you know the first to type of do to do this type of thing in this new space that's oh, my thought or at least the interpretation you're right uh, like that that, that is the potential upside of it right like you know you never know the potential effect of something going viral and in order to spark you know any like right now it's a relatively dead market and to be able to spark some type of life, I could see a step like that potentially being able to somehow being caught in some type of net and maybe gaining some type of traction with that. But I still think it's a little bit of a reach right now. And, you know, like, honestly, I'm glad they're doing it. Like, only from the <laughs> because it's like let let the experiment play out we'll see what happens but you know the only thing that is going to happen if it does go well is that there are going to be a million projects that immediately go cco after that and there's just not going to be the demand in the larger space for all of those projects that are cco so 
Um, we'll see. Again, like it just doesn't make as much sense to me from a contractual viewpoint because if you're looking at it, I think the main like it's art that you're talking about that they're licensing out to other people. So like, I'm just asking myself outside of like graphic designs and that type of stuff. Like what is the real allure of that? Are people really going to make a Moonbirds TV show or are they going to do something like that? Like, I guess TV integrate them into angry birds. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Like a viral video game, you know, but, Regardless of, like, what their plan is, I am curious on the legal implications with the lack of regulations uh, in this space, because what is, at this point, like, what is legally binding for an NFT project? Is it just announcing, you know, or having posted on your website that you're something or make simply is making a tweet that you know, this is your quote unquote roadmap or whatever, um, kind of brings into question of like what you, what is actually legally binding to what you announce to your community? Well, okay. So I'm sorry. I just, I love this conversation. So to, to get to that point, right. On, on what's legal and what's not, if you think about minting an NFT, right and somebody else is getting that money, I mean, even besides free mints or whatever, I think um, projects uh, projects uh, got to state the licensing behind what you're purchasing, right? The image that's there, do you own the image or just a representation? What can you do? What can you not do with it? Um, for those that are marketing this, um, you own it all, right? Like it's your RP, you can go ahead and build a company with it. Those that are doing that from the get-go um those are that's that's going to be the most uh complex side of things right because you are uh from the beginning you're telling the user that they have they can do whatever they want with that it's like they're buying into that um and then in this case they get rugged i completely see that as something illegal even if the regulation is not here yet um i bought your product and it was stated that this and this and that and then later on, you change your mind, and I already have it. Now, I want my refund. And if I cannot get a refund, um, then we have a problem. And I think besides everything, money is involved. It is a business first, and everything else is later. And, and the business laws and all that stuff will need to apply to this. And, Bro, to and, be fair, to be fair, the refund right now would be like two ETH or two and a half ETH or something for the original mint. So I still think that like the value proposition is still, you know, it's difficult to argue. It hasn't immediately cratered back down beneath that. It's not like, you know, the 888 situation where, you know, they had to mess with the 888 mints. And, you know, I forget what it was. The uh, BTE Orbs collection, I think they had that whole mess with. Um, but you know, like, so I like see it a little bit different as that because as a holder, they've still delivered relatively, you know, pretty strong performance on the mint. No, yeah, to the initial holders, but then you know, there's many, many, many people who, and I guess you know, the project is absolved of any aftermarket sales. Um, and what the floor price is post what they initially charge for it. 
But I mean, uh, first week, didn't they get up to like 30 plus ETH? And many were traded at that. And they stayed above 25, 20 for a while. That's true, man. I mean, you know, I, I again, people are greedy. So I would be shocked if there is not some type of class action lawsuit against Proof Collective for one reason or another for, you know, like, it, heck, if I were a Moonbirds holder, I, I mean, I would be tempted to do that. You know, I, <laughs> I really would. So, you know, some type of class action lawsuit against Proof Collective because they made a shit ton off royalties and everything else. Like, they've got solid, solid bank of funds um, to be able to draw from. And if you feel like your rights have been infringed upon, then, you know, you should have a decent case, I would assume. This might be a hot take, but I kind of, it kind of, I feel bad, obviously, for the people that are involved and I don't know that are affected by this. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel like some of these projects are just like imploding, which I didn't expect. But that's why I'm, I'm going to show the pudgies. But I mean, they, they know what, like, in terms of like the, the way they view things is like, you know, they're like an IP company and like, they're like, yeah, you know, I think we, we can like kind of license our stuff to a certain amount of money, but it's like, if, you know, at a certain point, like if you have like a big deal with like a, a major company, like, you know, they want to like control like direction of the brand. And it's like something as, you know, which makes sense. Like you want like tight control of the brand. And, and, and at the end of the day, it kind of, it's beneficial to the company that, you know, like in their case that, you know, they bought the, the IP, but also to you as a holder. Um, so, you know, it's maybe interesting to see like the dynamics between the teams and, and, and all this stuff. But um, I, I can't believe like some of these projects, it's like they have such a head start and like a first mover advantage and they're just kind of like shooting themselves in the foot. But I guess that's just crypto. And that's so, right. In, like, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that uh, brings up a question, Kaleo. Where do we stand on our IP rights for the wonky songs? I'm pretty positive that like we have it on there where y'all own all the IP rights. Like, uh, like almost 100% positive. <laughs> I want to say 100%, but like I'm, I'm fairly positive. I, I think we can go to the Ledge Art website and it has it on there. But yeah, like y'all, y'all own the IP as far as I know right now. I mean, you go and double check if we don't have that language i need to put it in there because like it's intended but um that's that's it man like y'all y'all own the stonks y'all own the rights as far as i'm concerned i knew we did i just for all the other people in the audience yeah. uh kind of wanted to flex <laughs> that's it man like i mean but that's the way it should be in my opinion right like you know if you own art you have the right to do with that art what you want right like you know, a bunch of these museums, for instance, if they hold a painter's collection, like the painter isn't going to say, well, you can't advertise that you have that piece in your museum and you can't use that to be able to drive traffic and to be able to do this and that, you know, because I was the original painter that like that just doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I don't see how any real collection could go and say that and say, well, yeah, you know, you're a holder of it, but you actually don't own the rights to be able to do anything with it. That just doesn't make sense. So, you know, like, that's why, you know, the stonks and anything else that, like, we ever do is going to be that way because it just doesn't make sense for it to be anything else, in my opinion. Like, 
if you are the holder, you own the piece. And yeah, you know, like I, I really just don't see how there's how there's an in between. I agree. You know, yeah. I, and I, I want to make the point to like to close. You know, finish my point with the Moonbirds. If I own a stock um, that, that I purchase, you know, and I love it, it is my identity, my profile picture. Uh, I'm part of the community. And then Kaleo goes and says, uh, you know, we're changing, we're going Moonbird. <laughs> and anybody else can have that. And not only that, they can take that stonk that I fell in love with and make money off of it completely outside of crypto. They don't even have to look this way. Um, that is the biggest point that I'm trying to make with that. The, the blockchain can be left behind and that could become a product of its own. And we, they don't have to look. They, they don't care the moment that that becomes that way. And so for me, that is a huge thing. That's a huge red flag on the way, especially it's like backstabbing the community. I'm, I will feel like that 100%. I do not support it. I want to get that clear. I'm sorry if it's too drastic. It's just, you know, I, I, I'm in art. I build stuff like I don't see it. I don't see it. The, I see that being the the right way of doing things. I think the brand pushing and, and building benefits the community. Like um, I think the Bach father was saying down there, completely agree with that. And, and the guidance of the brand benefits everybody um, as a whole than doing things with the whole project like that. As far as just giving it up that you don't even know who can pick it up. Um, if a if a company that you don't their values don't line up with you picks up that and does something, um, how are you gonna feel about your collection? You know, those are things that 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 experiment that they trying right there. Hopefully, it works out, but I don't think it should be it should not be the way of the future. I mean, what if just, the next? Mass serial killer picture Moonbird as their uh, new slogan or <laughs> as their new call card. <laughs> oh my god! The other thing was B ways. Some of the projects, it's like you're buying into it, right? Like the future, like you're owning a little piece of it. Um, and it's like if you're buying into Apple, maybe. In that particular thing, you're not, you don't own the IP, right? Because that's not what they're displaying. Like, that's completely different. But in a much smaller, um, right business collection or whatever you want to call it, um, that could be what gets you to buy it, right? That it looks really cool. Let me check if I can do something with it if I wanted to or if I have permission every time, um, you know, that opportunity comes up and stuff like that. You know, I, I think it, it, the the NFT market is too wide, too big to, like, say what's right and what's wrong. But when the project, it is a PFP, and even if it is a shitty piece of art, you still want to feel like you have some sort of right over it um, instead of just, you know, hey, Google that image and do whatever you want with it. Bro, here's one of the other things that I look at. Like, you know... For instance, the exact extreme other side of it, punks. Whenever punks 
announced whenever larva labs announced for punks that they were like hey yeah you actually don't own the rights to be able to use these for commercial purposes like that's when punks you know the punk ape flipping started you know started to begin because it was at that moment that a lot of people were like well why do i really want this if i don't actually have the rights to use it you know in a commercial way that i want to use it for so you know apes on the other hand were surging and they were like if you own your ape you can do whatever the hell you want with it right and you know it wasn't until um larva labs was acquired by yuga and yuga ended up making the decision to you know say hey like we're giving the rights back to the holders that punks really started to gain a little bit of a ground again. And, you know, you've seen a resurgence here over the past month, um, a couple months really, where, um, you know, some of these OG blue chips are starting to pick back up a little bit of steam. And it just, you know, like, again, I think that was a perfect example, though, of, like, the holders have to have the rights. It just doesn't make sense otherwise. It is your greed and because i don't know another way that you can truly justify from a you know from a developmental perspective of a collection of releasing it of not giving the holders um those type of rights right like maybe 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 i would say in a gaming type aspect right like if the nfts are involved in some type of game and say that it's like some type of sword or this or that you know, that you're able to plug and play into a game and you have full use of the utility of that token within the game. Um, but, like, the actual game and everything else behind it is the the IP rights. Uh, like, that's where I could potentially see not being able to give the full commercial rights to somebody. Um, but outside of that, like, if it doesn't have some type of deeper utility and you're buying it for the art, then there's no reason that the holders shouldn't be the owners of that IP. Anyway, that's just my, my two cents. You're right. You're right. That's completely a hundred percent. Like that should be it. And that should be a red flag for anybody looking into any projects. Maybe the first thing you want to look at, um, to see if you're getting rugged with, with that. You know, if you buy it, at least you should do whatever you want. And and it makes perfect sense for, like, software games and stuff like that. Like, when you buy an Xbox, right, you can use it, and you're actually benefiting from that. Um, but that doesn't mean you own Xbox, right? Um, that That's really different um, than, you know, what we were talking about, which is completely digital art, digital assets, things that can be made like that. Um, even when you buy a shirt with a picture or whatever, you don't own the rights to that. You know, you own the shirt and you can do whatever you want with the shirt, but you cannot go ahead and, um, you know, make other shirts out of that shirt using that same image. It's, it doesn't work like that out here. But what we have is unique. It's completely different. And I think that's when a lot of people get lost on what, uh, you know, and, and maybe some of the projects, they're afraid missing out on games and they end up hurting their own project 
you know, by now allowing the community to pretty much have free will with their stuff. So I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, uh, same as well. Sorry, I was actually uh, in the process of claiming my Moonbird uh, whenever yeah, you were finishing up. But yeah, I agree uh, 100% as well. And I welcome, which number is this? Uh, Moonbird 2950. Uh as my new official rooster moonbird. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Sorry. Well, you know, dude, what it reminds me of right now, like the funniest troll would just be everybody on crypto Twitter changing their pictures, like their PFPs to like the same, you know, popular moonbirds and just, you know, like triggering the. I mean, it, I I feel a little bit bad because the community. But is that a what they want from that aspect? Is the question. But you know, like it might be. You're right. It might be. That might be part of the social experiment. But I do feel like there'd be some people triggered in the process, and I think that it would backfire a little bit because the angst of the community you're going to see would be the exact opposite of what you want whenever you want to be involved in a community and a project. So, you know, it was like the Bored Ape dude that replied to Elon, like, that's my PFP. <laughs> and, like, you know, he may have been joking, but, like, the way he presented it did not sound like joking. And Elon got pissed and was like, nah, man, like, I, I don't give a shit about this, whatever, whatever. And it was all because one guy you know, said the wrong thing about it. And it kind of just made all apes look a little bit distasteful in that process. I, I'd actually say the coolest one, the funniest one was whenever Crypto Don Alt bought that ape and he was like, hey, this is my ape, but all of y'all should use it because I am letting you guys use it to your PFP. This is all in Crypto Twitter's PFP now. And there were a lot of people that switched to that PFP after it, I thought that was kind of hilarious because it was like the exact anti-ape sentiment that you see from a lot of guys because a lot of these apes that have their apes, they're, you know, so protectful that they see anybody else use it. They freak out. They're like, you know, you're a LARP with what you're doing here. You're being disingenuous. You're doing this and that. And they just like harass the people. And I think that it's just not a good look because you know what? F it. If somebody else uses your PFP, you know, unless they're trying to actually flex and say, hey, this is mine and like trying to sell some other type of product with it, F it. Like, you know, it's just giving your, you know, your PFP more exposure. A hundred percent. If anyone wants to right click, save this one, the the rarest Bebos little blob thing. I don't know what this is. Please, you're, you're, you're going to help me sell this thing, you know, but I, I think, you know what the ape thing, I don't want to say too much. But honestly, I think it's the first time those guys were in a cool club of any kind or felt cool in their lives. So they're like, yeah, we, well, this is this is it. This is my personality. Like they take it a little too far. You know, like they, they don't the fun aspect out of this. It's like, dude, just relax a little. Hey, have you gotten any decent offers on that? Uh, the rarest Bebo's yet? <laughs> Not yet. Oddly enough, it's like I, I've been like just kind of like looking at the like the floor and think it was like over an eth at some point but like no one's like bidding rares it doesn't it's kind of like doesn't make sense and i'm still trying to figure out why these things like popped off in the first place i think the dev is like a rainbow guy and i don't know i guess it's something with pseudo swap and i was like my friend had nance and he was telling me like oh yeah a lot of like whale wallets are buying this stuff or minting this stuff so 
um i don't know i kind of like blindly aped into it and just got the rarest one but hopefully you know i'm, I'm gonna probably lower it in a little you know see if if i get any kind of bites but uh, i just left it at 100 eth because i'm like why not i mean the thing like like 50x or whatever it is so i'm like all right you know if i get a bid i get a bid but if i if it does sell at 100 eth i will put in the rest and i will buy the left facing peng uh so that's incentive for any pudgies out there i will buy the one of one peng if uh this sells because why not yeah you know what we need in here personalized spaces you know the ledger space account here can have uh, its own emojis. You know, we need some some something better than these uh, clapping hands and hearts. I wish, man. I wish. That's one thing I just do not understand with uh, spaces in general is why they like can't add in the feature. You can choose whatever emoji you want to use as your dashboard. Like, if, if nothing else, make it part of the Twitter Blue experience, right? Like, with Twitter Blue, and I actually think that you would get a lot more people that would sign up for Blue with that just for the use of the emojis to be able to decide what emojis they want in their cache. It's kind of crazy that this got worse over the last year. Like, I remember, like, voice chats on, like, Xbox Live when I was a kid, like, back like when it first came out, like, the early 2000s, and I'm just like, that technology, it's like they've somehow, like we've reverted back in times in certain aspects of technology and like we've come really far in other uh, aspects. But I mean, look at the, the layout of the spaces. I'm like, how can, I, I think they like have meetings and like, how can we actively sabotage this company there? Cause I, it really just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And I'm trying to figure out the angle, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, man. I mean, like one thing that I'm really pissed off about right now, as far as my UI of the app, is on the Ledgeart account, if I go on the Ledgeart account, it still has the spaces displayed at the top of the screen, right? But, like, on the Kaleo account, I have to – it doesn't any longer show the active spaces just any time I get on the app. So it's not on the top of the feed anymore like what it used to be. I have to go down to the spaces tab, and, like, I just don't think about doing that very often, right? When I'm on Twitter, like, I'll check notifications – and I check the home feed. I, I just don't go to the other buttons very often. And what I think that that's led to, and, you know, I've noticed since they implemented that change on my phone, I have noticed a decline immediately as far as viewership or, you know, listenership in a lot of my spaces. Because I think that it's, just, you know, it's obviously been rolled out across like a decent number of accounts, obviously not for everybody, but for a decent number of accounts. Yeah, I think they just selectively experiment, um, Twitter does, as far as what they do and what accounts get it. And, like, you know, some do, some don't. They just decide whether to move forward or not. And anyway, I think that's happened. And I think there are a lot of people that typically would get on it. They'd see spaces at the top of the screen. They'd just click on it and they'd join and they, you know, they're part of that. But now that because they added the extra step to be able to, you know, go find it rather than it just being given it to you that there just is there aren't as many people as involved as there used to be because it wasn't necessarily a market shift that I noticed that with. I mean, it was purely the UI shift as far as, you know, what was presented on the screen that I, I noticed like, man, okay, there are less people that all of a sudden now are showing up regularly 
to these because of, you know, I really think it was a UI shift that they made a mistake. Yeah, you know, I had some time to think about it when you were talking about it, and I think they have a blind person working in the UI as the head of their UI department. I, I think that might that might be it. You, you know, the, the, I think that's one of the biggest things, right? Like, I remember when, you know, when Facebook was a thing. Uh, I'm sorry, and I don't mean... I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend anybody that's still using it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't like it. And they would change things, uh, you know. Sometimes it'll be good, sometimes it just, it's just like, let's try this out and push it out there, see if they like it. You know, like, what? Um, as crazy as it can be, you know, going through faces and testing, I think colors and the UI can destroy uh, an app faster than it, people think about, you know, underestimate what it is. Especially, I mean, if, if you build any websites or anything like that, or you, I mean, you navigate the web. Some websites are just, you know, you need to use them, but it, it's just like why, you know, like who, why, and, and you don't get to understand. So, you know, it's. I feel like Twitter changes really slow, but like you guys said, some of the changes they do, um, they fuck up, and to fix it, they also take a bunch. No, of dude, time. you no, you know what, you know what it really is. At the end of the day, like these guys have jobs, and they need to like justify their jobs by switching stuff around when they got it right the first time. That I mean, that's like the I think the only thing that makes sense. Like when you really like break <laughs> it down, it's like you you like have the Mona Lisa, and then they get, no, we're gonna just keep drawing over this, and then they put like a mustache on it. And they, you know, like a like a Takashi six nine tattoo on the face, and they're like, you know what, this is perfect. And then like they slowly, like revert it back to the way it was over like a decade. Like that's that's like UI or like how corporations work. You know, if everything was perfect, like how are they gonna make money? Like they're like, no, 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 no. Oh damn, you got it. You did it good, too good this time. You got to you got to mess that up. And and then like they slowly just build it back up. That like that's uh, really the only thing that makes sense. Arguably, that's what, you know, made Apple become so dominant was the UIs with the iPhone, how easy, how simple uh, the iPhone was for pretty much any user to use after a brief uh, tutorial on it. Um, Arguably, you know, I'm not project analysis or head of anything for any Web2 company, Um but yeah, I'd say arguably, I mean, when they've done the most, when they really kickstarted their sales and branched off into iPhones and iPods, uh, just the ease of use of those would, I'd say, arguably be the, one of the main reasons why they hold uh, such a prominent spot right now. And, I, and I'm, I'm an Apple user. You know, I did use a lot of Android before. I, I like Windows creating anything, you know, so much access. But I think I think you're right. Obviously, lately, some of the updates in the last few years are just like, well, something changed, you know. Somebody in there pushing some buttons and uh, things are breaking. But the UI, the whole experience for Apple, I think that's what killed it. You know, when I was uh, 17, I managed a cell phone store. And we sold, you know, all kinds of phones. And the biggest frustration for for the, you know, 
the people switching into the newer phones and stuff like that, um, it was like they had, you know, they made the switch. They got the Android or whatever it was back then, and they learned how to use it. But the next Android of the same brand was completely different. Like, what? You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck? Now I had to spend extra time there teaching them how to use it. And people underestimated, you know, what it's like for somebody to get familiar with a product and get comfortable with it, make it part of your, you know, your everyday. You don't have to relearn something every time. Once you know how to drive a car, that's it. Anybody that comes and then switches the brakes to the right side, um, you know, good luck. <laughs> so th- that's exactly what Apple did. As for Twitter, you know, with everything, I got a question for you guys. What's going on with Elon? Is that still going on in court? No, that was a ruse so he can dump $8 billion of Tesla stock and then blame Twitter. It's, it was actually kind of ingenious. It's like the bait and switch. No, I'm not a bad guy. They just had bots. This company sucks. Like that's that's oh, all good. dude. Every every single one of his sales have been genius. You know, like the Twitter poll: should I sell or should I not? And you know, like people voted yes. Like, can you blame the guy for going with popular opinion at that point? Like, it's not a Charlie Lee situation. I mean, it kind of was, but it wasn't really if you think about it because. He gave the decision to the public, and the public made their decision. And you ask the question, though, like, a man that rich, how much of that was bots? <laughs> was potentially manipulated to make sure that he won that poll. But still, like, the poll was won. Dude, you, you know how many, like, Tesla fanboys there are? Like, there, it, it's like, that's definitely, I'm sure there's a lot of, like, real engagement. People, like, stand Elon, like, a little bit too much. I don't know, in my opinion. I and that's speaking from a guy who has a Tesla and I actually I bought I actually I sold the Pico top because the used car market like I and I I saw basically I sold my Tesla last week because I saw like two soccer moms at a Trader Joe's and I'm like this shit ain't cool anymore. So I'm gonna get a Porsche. But uh anyway, uh yeah, like there's definitely a lot of Tesla stands out there. Um oh, yeah. so uh, Dude, so uh here, going back to the Moonbirds thing, here's a tweet from a buddy that I just read. Palmer tweeted, like, um, FYI, shortly after the Moonbirds CCO announcement, I actually lost an eight-figure licensing deal that I've been working on for a while. I understand the decision, but the approach by the team could have been much better, upward and onwards. See you all at Parliament later today. Um, anyway, you know, whether it was eight figures, how much of that included the Moonbirds or not, like, whatever it was, you know, point being with that you know uh, i'm not going to call bullshit that there was some type of business decision that was called off by the way that the team handled whatever you know whatever they did there so again you know i think there are going to be there's going to be some backlash they face going forward with that and like personally i don't see it as you know like again if you sell your product as one thing and switch it to something else without consent like not the right thing to do but just thought I'd throw that out there as an example of somebody that actually owns a Moonbird and their opinion on their the take. Well, um, as becoming a new Moonbird holder, um, I would like to give my opinion now. 
Uh, I really love my Moonbird 2950. Uh, I'm thinking of building a brand out of it. <laughs> Bro, I say go for it. <laughs> That's a sick Moonbird, honestly. What happened to him? That sucks. Doesn't he look like a – he, he kind of looks like a rooster bird as well. Uh, at least to me, he does. He does. Um, but – all right, ladies and gents, I do have to wrap up the space today, unfortunately. You know, it's been a good conversation. We've been going for a couple hours now um, and um, got a few other things going on today, this evening that I've got to get ready for. Um, but, you know, appreciate again, everybody coming. I always enjoy these. My favorite space of the week. These the vibes here are just right, man. Like, you know, it's just fun being able to hang out with you guys. The Wonky Stonks crew is real. We're going to we're here. We're going to be here. We're going to stay. You know, we'll talk about everything in the market, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and, you know, like we'll we'll just continue to survive um, and thrive as the market goes up, down, sideways, whatever it does, we'll be here. So, um, you know, appreciate again everybody coming up here and uh, hope you guys enjoy your weekends. Peace. Yeah, have a great weekend, everyone. Uh, resilience is key. Peace, guys. Yep. Yes, sir. All right.